Well, tonight we looked at the transformation of the earth that is coming, is future to us. But before I do that, let me give you a quick review so that we stay up to speed and we realize what we are doing. I began by saying I was going to do a series on life after death and I was going to focus not upon the intermediate state, that, that period of time in which we are disembodied, our bodies are in the grave and our spirits or souls are with God. I said that is a conscious time. So that God is a spirit and God has emotion, will, and intellect. And we will have emotion, will, and intellect as well. We are going to be conscious, but we're going to be in a disembodied state. I said I was going to focus on the resurrection. And uh, we noted that the resurrection body is going to be like Christ's body, we are told. So then we spent time looking through the New Testament accounts of the resurrection appearances of Jesus to try to discover what that resurrection body was like. We saw that it indeed was made of uh, flesh and bone. Uh, he invited the disciples to touch him, to feel him. He said, I'm not, as, I'm not a ghost. He said, I'm made up of flesh and bone. Uh, he still had the nail prints in his hand, and he had the wound in his side. He invited Thomas to stick forth his hand and, and touch them and see, in fact, that he was the resurrected Lord. We noted the fact that he ate in that resurrected body. And said that because of that, I think many of the passages that speak about our feasting and our eating in the, the kingdom uh, are to be taken literally, uh, that uh, that is truly going to take place. We also said there's probably characteristics of his resurrection body that we don't share, just as there are characteristics of his earthly body that we don't share. Namely, he can walk on water, we can't. And one of the things we noted that Christ was able to go through walls, <laughs> locked doors, I'm not so sure we're going to be able to do that in our resurrected bodies. That might be something that's associated with his deity. We then move to the time of the resurrection. And we saw that the resurrection is going to occur when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And we noted that there are going to be two resurrections separated by a thousand years. There will be the resurrection of the righteous dead. That's going to happen at the uh, time which the Lord Jesus Christ returns to this earth. And then there's going to be a millennial kingdom. And at the end of that thousand years of the millennial kingdom, then the dead uh, who are not believers, the unregenerate, are going to be raised, judged, and cast into a lake of fire. So then we saw that there's going to be this millennial kingdom. And we asked the question, well, what's the purpose of that millennial kingdom? Why is it necessary? Why not just a new heaven and new earth? And uh, I said for two reasons. Uh, I said that we have a first Adam. And we have what 1 Corinthians 15 refers to as the second Adam. The second Adam is, is Christ. And Christ came to redeem us from the curse that came. And, I, and he came to reveal uh, the image of God. I said that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. I noted the fact that those are... Uh, plural pronouns, ours, but uh, sim- uh, singular uh, modifiers, our likeness, not our likenesses. And it's a, a hint already at the Trinity. And so one of the aspects of being um, creating the image of God is to show forth a relationship to each other like the Trinity has to each, to each other. And then I said the second aspect was dominion that uh, he was given dominion over the earth. And uh, he was to uh, 
keep it, and he was to develop it. And I said there was a creative aspect to uh, uh, Adam's care of this earth that was to reflect the creative activity of God. And there was the keeping, the preserving, watching over and protecting it. And Adam, because he sinned, failed miserably. And as a result, the earth was corrupted, and uh, he did not, did not keep it. And relationships were destroyed. The relationship with Adam and Eve were destroyed, certainly with the children, Cain and Abel, as uh, Cain ultimately takes Abel's life. So last week we noted that Christ came to uh, become the second Adam and to make up for all that was lost by the first Adam. We said that had implications for creation. And remember that was a very long handout. We looked at a lot of things. Now we're going to go slow down and go back and look at the implications of the redemptive work of Christ for all of creation. And the reason I'm spending time on this tonight is because it gives us insight into what our future existence is going to be like. Where are we going to live and how are we going to live? Well, we're going to live in a transformed world. Uh, first in the millennial kingdom and then ultimately in a new heaven and a new earth. So we want to look at that transformation. So through the fall of man, a curse came upon the earth. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife... And have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken for you are dust, and the dust you shall return. So the theme is, through the redemptive work of Christ, the curse on the earth will be completely removed. Key verse. Romans 8, 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So number one, even creation itself is longing for the day that is coming in which it will be free from the curse as a result of Christ's redemptive work. Creation is standing on tiptoes looking for the future restoration, for the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly. Uh, that thought that creation is standing on tiptoes is a literal translation of that eagerly waiting. I love that. I love word pictures. You can think of somebody who's, who's trying to see, trying to see over all that the, is present there, and they're on tiptoes looking and trying to get a glimpse. And so all of creation is on its tiptoes, looking forward, trying to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like when the sons of God are revealed. B, the future restoration will take place in association with the ultimate manifestation of the redemption of mankind. That's the time. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What does that mean? We'll see in a few moments. Number two, presently creation is frustrated in fulfilling its purpose. Romans 8:20 For the creation was subjected to fulfill, to futility or the NIV for the creation was subjected to frustration. All of these are personifications as though um, the creation could think and as though the creation could act and the idea here is that that all of creation is frustrated as a result of Adam's fall. It cannot fulfill the purpose for which 
it was created. It is hindered uh, by the fall of Adam. A. The earth has been corrupted as a result of the fall. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall grow for you. Adam was to be a keeper of the garden. He was to cultivate it. But as a result of his sin, now there are thistles, there are thorns, uh, there are, uh, the ground is, is cursed, it is parched. Uh, all of the ways in which crops do not grow, everything that hinders it is a byproduct of the fall. This frustration came not at the choice of creation. For the creation was subject to frustration not by its own choice. It was not creation's fault. It was Adam's fault. This frustration is a result of the curse placed on it by God. The creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, namely God. It was God who brought this curse on this earth as punishment to Adam and Eve. D, however, there is reason for great encouragement in the midst of the frustration. Romans 8.20 says, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. And now these words, in hope. So there is hope for creation. There is reason to look forward to a day that is coming. Creation has the hope of being restored through the redemptive work of Christ. Number three, creation will share in the fruits of the redemptive work of Christ. All of creation will share in the fruits of the redemptive work of Christ. Romans 8.21, that the creation itself, B, creation is a slave to sin just as mankind is slave to, to sin. The creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. It's slavery to corruption. C, creation will be set free from its corruption as the child of God is set free from his corruption. That the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it will be set free to participate in the glory that is going to be experienced by the children of God. Number four. Just as the believer groans, longs, and suffers in this age, waiting for deliverance, so too the creation groans, longs, and suffers in this age, waiting for deliverance. All of creation, not just mankind, needs deliverance from the curse of sin. For we know that the whole creation, all of creation, B, there is suffering in this present age that is shared by all creation until the new age comes. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together, until now, that just as uh, Eve and women experience change, pain in childbirth, as it is a painful process to bring forth fruit, so too it is a painful process for the earth to bring forth fruit. Uh, it is frustrated. It is corrupted. Uh, it is polluted. Uh, it has been messed up by mankind. See, we, along with the rest of creation, are looking forward to the setting free 
of corruption that will occur when our bodies are resurrected. Romans 8.23, and not only this, but we also are ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So I said, I would say in a few moments, what is that revealing? Well, it's that time in which we receive our resurrection bodies. We are transformed. But it won't be just us who are transformed. It won't just be believers who have a new body, but this earth in conjunction with our transformation will also be transformed. Just as God removes the curse from us, he removes the curse from all creation. Five, the great hope of redemption is a future hope. Our redemption has a future aspect to it. There is more to come. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is not seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? So we haven't seen it yet. We are hoping for it. We're to look forward to that future redemption of the body. And not only this, but this, not only this, but also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown with ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. I went through that awfully fast, I know. But now let me slow down. Number six. During the millennial reign of Christ, the earth will be transformed. Christ will preserve the earth by a godly rule. It isn't just mankind that experiences the godly rule. It is all of creation that experiences Christ's godly rule. He will make wise and righteous choices, not only for mankind, but for all of creation. Remember, Adam was made in the image of God. And he was given dominion over the fish over the, uh, in the sea, over the birds of the air, over every creeping thing. But Adam did not treat this world wisely. And uh, he corrupted it. So the reign of Christ affects all of creation. Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So Christ, as the second Adam, will rule perfectly. He will not fail where Adam did in watching over creation. Isaiah 11, 1 and following. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. This is referring to Christ. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees, 
nor make a decision by what he hears. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. He shall slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. See, through Christ's reign over the earth, the animal world will be transformed. Animals will be at peace with others. Animals will peacefully coexist. Isaiah 11:6, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Now there's two ways that one can look at these extensive passages, uh, particularly in Isaiah, but beyond Isaiah in other prophetic portions and in the book of Revelation. There is a tendency by some to make all of that just purely allegorical and boil it down to the aspect that there's going to be peace. And that these are ways of uh, depicting peace that we are going to know and experience, but we should in no way take them literally. I argue that we should take them literally because the curse literally came upon this earth, and that's what Christ came to uh, accomplish. One of the things I want us to see through this series is that so often I think we truncate the gospel. I said this before. That in the New Testament, the gospel is referred to as the gospel of the kingdom. And rarely do we talk about the gospel of the kingdom. We usually talk about the gospel. And most people narrow that down to accept Jesus as your Savior and you go to be with him forever. And that's it in its totality. That's what Christ came to do. Christ came to make it so that we could be with him forever. Well, that's true, but that's not nearly the whole story. Christ came to redeem us. Christ came to undo all of our sinfulness. Christ came in order to accomplish his will. One of the interesting things about um, John 3.16 is the many different ways that that verse is interpreted. For God so loved the world. Okay. How are we to take world? Well, some say that's all mankind. Uh, D.A. Carson argues that the world is that which is unholy, unrighteous. And so he's talking about how the God loved an ugly thing. Uh, and we're to be amazed that he would love this ugly thing, this fallen, fallen world. The word for world in that verse is cosmos. I think you all know what the cosmos is. I believe that John 3.16 incorporates not only mankind, but all of creation. God so loved what he made that he sent his only begotten son. God had looked at his creation and said it was good. He came to restore it all. Now, we're the centerpiece. There's no question. We're the centerpiece in a good sense and a bad sense. We're the centerpiece in the sense that that's why this world is messed up because of what Adam did. But we're the centerpiece because in redeeming mankind, 
Now everything that was messed up is going to be made right. Two, animals will be tame. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the kid. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little boy will lead them. Isaiah 11, 8. And a nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. You see, here is a, a little child that's able to play with deadly snakes. And nothing happens. Three, nothing at all will hurt or destroy. Isaiah eleven nine. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Keep in mind that it was through the fall that enemy came into existence between humans and the animal uh, world. Genesis 9, 1. And, the fear, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And now this. And the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky. With everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand, they are given. They had already been given into their hand back in Genesis. But now they're given with this frustration. They're going to be afraid of you. They're going to be afraid of you. That has, that's a two-sided coin. In one sense, that's God's protection of us. That the animal world fears us. That the animal world tends to run from us when it gets a scent of us. When you think of the, the ferocious animal world, what a wonderful protection. Why would an animal be afraid of us? Most run faster. Most are stronger. <laughs> we would not be a match for a large part of the animal segment. But God, in his grace, made animals fear us. But he also, it's a curse. Remember how the animals were brought to Noah. And they just walked into the ark. They're, they just come to uh, uh, Adam and he names the animals. Now, I know some of you have pets and you love those pets. And you have a relationship to that, that pet. And they love you. You care for them. You watch over them. Uh, that was to be a part of reflecting the image of God. Just a little while ago, I think it was Ron Bear, maybe I have the wrong person, but, but talked about how uh, his eye is on the sparrow. And so we know that he cares for us. Ricky just sang that song just a little, little while ago. Well, don't lose sight, his eye is on the sparrow. And he knows when one falls. That's the kind of attitude we should have towards all of creation. But even evangelicals have a tendency to mock and make fun of those people that are really worried about the earth. If anyone would be worried about how this earth is cared for, it should be us. Because God does. Okay. Um, animals will peacefully exist. Animals will be tame. Nothing at all will hurt or destroy. Okay, number seven. The great and final hope of all of creation is the establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. Oh, let me back up. I knew I missed it. Okay, top of page five. B, I don't think I said that. Animals will no longer use each other for food. The cow and the bear will graze 
Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ass. Uh, this is one of the reasons why those people that take this passage uh, allegorically say, because you can't do that. Uh, some of these animals are carnivorous, and uh, they can't live off of grass. And all I'm saying to you is the earth is transformed. We have transformed bodies. And there are things in the future in our resurrected bodies that we can't do now. All of creation is transformed, including the animal world. And I don't think it's impossible that God can uh, have these animals uh, be uh, vegetarian. <laughs> uh, it's just not a problem for me. So, uh, seven, the great and final hope of all creation is the establishment of the new heavens and new earth. The scripture speak repeatedly of the new heavens and new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former things will, shall not be remembered or come to mind. It is in the new heaven and earth that we have our final abode. Just as new heavens and new earth, which I, uh, it says, uh, just as the new heaven and new earth, which I make, will endure before me, now these key words, declares the Lord, so your offspring and your name will endure. Just as this new creation will have no, no end, so too we have no end. But you see, what I'm trying to say to you tonight is when we start thinking about what is our future like, it's a lot like the world we live in now. There are going to be animals. There are going to be people. We're going to see there's going to be cities. It's what God intended this world to be, except without sin. We will see what this paradise that God made, and that's where we're going next. We're going to look at the word paradise as it appears in Revelation, as it appears in the Old Testament. And uh, we're, we're going to be in this paradise. It's going to be like the world we live in, but yet without, without sin. It's glorious. Uh, I will, in the future, look at the passage that talks about this present uh, world melting, etc. Uh, I will deal with that in a couple of weeks. I said to you that uh, Joy to the World is my favorite Christmas carol. And I said it's really, unfortunately, it's not really a Christmas carol. It's a millennial carol. Uh, these things aren't accomplished at the first coming of Christ, but they're going to be accomplished at the second coming of Christ. You see, and, and that's a glorious thought. When Christ comes, he uh, removes the curse as far as extensive in its reach that we can imagine. Every area in which sin has been corrupted, God is going to renew. God is going to make new. Right down to the animal world, right down to the veg vegetation, every aspect, including the pollution in the waters, everything is going to be made new.